You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. We have another exciting episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about J.R.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings series, and all different media that it has appeared in, from radio shows to animation to movies to the books themselves. Now, this episode is a passion project of mine. It was one of the first, I don't know, six or seven topics that I wanted to talk about when I started the show. And this is actually the oldest episode that I have put out. It is the oldest episode in my backlog. We actually recorded it back in 2017. And it is just now getting to see the light of day. Now, part of that's because of just the sheer length of the thing. It was a little bit intimidating. The other issue is that when I was asking what, you know, episodes to prioritize, no one ever once suggested this one, even though I did list it as one of the ones. So this is another reason for feedback. (laughs) If you're enjoying the show, make sure to email me, make sure to respond on Facebook, whatever, when I'm asking for feedback on things, because if this is an episode that you wanted to hear a while back or would have been interested in a while back, well... You know, if I had heard, you know, some people asking for it, I would have prioritized it above some others. So, you know, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you're going to hear it anyway. It is a really fun episode. We got a great cast together for this one. And like I say, we just ended up talking and talking and talking so much so that we had three episodes worth of material, even though we hadn't planned it that way. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get part one. And because of that... I'm not going to create a separate outro for every episode. There will be one on the final episode in this set, but we'll just segue into the song at the ends of part one and part two. Part two, I'll record a brief introduction for, and we'll just go from there. But, you know, the other thing that I'm kind of happy about is to have this final five questions uh, put out. I really kind of miss five questions, but it really was getting too long. And frankly, with a lot of the cast members, you know, coming back week after week, they were getting a lot of the same questions and it was getting to the point where, okay, well, we don't really need to do this anymore. I might bring it back at some point for new cast members who join or something along those lines, but I really don't think that, I think the time of five questions has passed. But With that put out there, I guess my question for you, and this is another way that you can provide feedback, is to let me know what do you think of the five-minute controversy? Do you enjoy that segment? Do you think it's something that we should only do sporadically? Do you have another idea for something that we can sort of get into to loosen ourselves up ahead of time? So just let me know through any of the various media sources online. Of course, you can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can go to our Facebook at facebook.com slash 42cast. You can tweet to us at at 42cast. 
or you can go to our website, 42cast.com, and leave responses on this episode or any other episode. So, yeah, let us know if you have some feelings about that, some ideas of other segments that we can run, that sort of thing. I am also obliged to mention the ESO Patreon, but we're going to have a little bit more on that just shortly, so I won't go into too much detail about that. But, yeah, without further ado, here is the episode already in progress. Let's introduce our cast for this week. Starting off, it's someone that you last heard talking about her love of Batman, and that is my friend Stephanie. How are you, Stephanie? Hello, I'm doing all right today. How about you? I am doing fine. So uh, what's uh, been going on for you in the last, like, nine months since we recorded the Batman episode? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, too much to list here. (laughs) But, I don't know, just chugging on with life. Yeah, I know that you've been making some new costumes. Yep, working on a few new costumes. Just debuted a new one. The first brand new character I've done since like 2013 and the first new series I've cosplayed from since 2010 with stocking from Panty and Star- Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. I have a few little tweaks I need to make to that though since it's first time wear. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something that I've been working on off and on for about as long as we've been trying to do this podcast. <laughs> When I started it, I was a different size than I am now, so now it's uh, about an inch or two too big. So, safety pins it was for the last convention, but I'm going to take it in for the uh, next time I wear it. Okay, well, so you've accomplished quite a few things recently. You finished your costume, we're going to do this podcast, you know, things are going pretty good, huh? Yeah, and even with the nine-month delay on the podcast itself, I still never got around, though, to uh, doing my refresher rereads or rewatches, but that's okay. Right. (laughs) I'm fairly well familiar with the subject matter. It should be fine. (laughs) Yeah, it should be okay, I think. But uh, it's good to have you back, Stephanie. Thank you. Good to be back. And uh, next up is someone that you last heard talking about once upon a time, and that is my friend Angie. How are you doing, Angie? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am doing great. So are you still following everyone on the internet? I was wondering if the (laughs) creepiest creeper comment was going to come back. (laughs) Hey, it wasn't me. It was you. (laughs) I know. I know. I brought it on myself. No, I've actually been kind of offline a lot recently, just dealing with work and moving and Mm. baby crawling. So uh, how is that? So everyone's safe. I haven't been stalking online. (laughs) So uh, where are you at with the moving process? Um, they pushed off our house build for another month, so we're still here until July. Oh, okay. In the basement. Well, you know, at least you have, uh, you know, a time frame where you're getting out soon-ish, so that's not too bad, right? It's not awful. <laughs> yeah. And the baby's just started crawling, you said? Yeah, so he's a holy terror. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> Glad that they're over. Yeah. Not that it gets much better. <laughs> As the kids get older, they'll just get into more and more stuff. So you've got your next, uh, you know, 18 years or so cut out for you now. Yeah, yeah, I figured I'm going to worry till the day I die. That's okay. I knew what I was signing up for. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, it's great to have you back, Angie. Thanks. You're welcome. And our final cast member this week is someone brand new to the 42 cast. She is someone who likes to help geeks get their uh, entrepreneurial endeavors going. She is someone who is very much into video games. 
And that is my friend Bree. How are you doing, Bree? Hey, I'm doing awesome. That is fantastic. And uh, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you say a little bit about yourself? Sure. So besides what Nathan said, I'm a freelance writer and I specialize in online video. So pretty much when I'm watching YouTube, I get to have the excuse that I'm doing it for work, which like (laughs) 80% of the time I am. So it's pretty awesome. So that's that's my my day job. I work from home. And beyond that, I live in Arizona. My husband and I go hiking and like target practice shooting and all that kind of cool stuff when we can. I also work on updating my house. Got a lot of trips and stuff coming up because like relatives are getting married and things like that. So I'm very happy that I have that I get to do uh, freelancing so that I have time for that other stuff, which is great. So, but yeah, besides that, like Nathan said, I like to talk about geeky business and like entrepreneurship and stuff. And I have a blog specifically for that. And that that's kind of, that's kind of my life. Yeah, all right. It's good to have you on, Brie, because you're someone that I've heard a lot on other podcasts. We've done a couple together and, you know, uh, glad to have you on the show to, to give your opinions on things. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, in fact, Bree is, well, Stephanie and Angie too, but uh, you're one of the people that when I first started out on this process, I was like, Bree is one of the people that I have to have on the show. So I think that this is pretty much rounding out that cast right now with you coming on. So uh, I feel like I've accomplished something too. <laughs> all right. So now that we've all introduced ourselves, we are going to go to our next segment, which is five questions. And for those just joining, five questions is something that where we just have a bunch of questions stored up that I have a random number generator spit out five of, and it's a way to sort of get us loosened up before we dive into the topic, and also to give you listening a little bit of an insight into our interests and where we fall on certain topics. So for today, Bree, since you're brand new, would you rather go first or last? Ah, uh, what the heck, we'll go first. Okay, so let's go breathe and Stephanie, then Angie. Okie dokie. Alright, first question. Better time you saw this story, Avatar or Ferngully? <sighs> One more time? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a joke question because it's basically the same story. But anyway, it's better time you saw this story, Avatar or Ferngully? Well, I asked you to say one more time because, honestly, I don't recall ever seeing Ferngully as a kid. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> that in itself is a way for people at home to judge you, so that's yep, perfectly yep. nice. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. So, Stephanie, were you next? I already forgot which order I said. Yeah, you said I was next. Okay, so Stephanie. Honestly, I didn't particularly care for either of them all that much, but I enjoyed Ferngully better story progression-wise. Visually, though, Avatar was amazing. But the boringness of its pacing and... <laughs> yeah, Avatar, I thought, had bad pacing. It was kind of dull and all that type of stuff. But it was beautiful! I haven't seen Ferngully, though, in probably, like, 20 years. Right. But... As a kid, I remember at least somewhat enjoying it. Edgy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I love Ferngoy, and that was definitely the better, better telling. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Ferngully was a movie that I really liked. It was one of those things where I was in my mid-teens, and I was you know, kind of distancing myself from things that I thought were kind of childish or kiddy, so I didn't see it for a while after it came out, but it just happened to come on TV or something, and I just found myself watching it, and I was really impressed 
Uh, I was probably like 15 or 16 with how good it was. So I have a very fond memory of Fern Gully, and I remember watching Avatar kind of like with my mouth open the whole time saying, how can he get away with basically just doing Fern Gully in space? You know, <laughs> nobody's calling him on it, you know. I think he just hoped it was pretty enough nobody would question it. Right. And it was very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, no, great effects. Yeah, I won't I won't deny it. I mean, and then we have I mean, for tentacle porn sex thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> also, if you think about it, to be honest, I ha- I did see Avatar, but if you think about it, James Cameron's not not known for his storytelling. Like right. he steals stories. Like if you think about it, you could essentially interpret Titanic as like a Romeo Juliet situation too. Oh, of course, yeah. Although that's so tropish. That Romeo and Juliet-ish kind of storyline goes throughout so much fiction, so... Yep. That one's a little easier to sort of hand wave away, but yeah, I I felt like Avatar... I mean, the thing with Avatar also was my wife and I are watching it, and I'm, like, saying lines of dialogue before the characters are, because it's like, what's the most cliched thing someone can say in this, you know, situation? So I would just say a line, like, it's kind of a joke, and then the person actually says it. And I'm like, oh, no, this is just... This is just bad. But, uh, anyway. (laughs) Alright, so the next one is actually going to be really, really interesting for a cast of all women. Marianne or Ginger? Ginger? Okay. (laughs) Any reason for that, or was that basically a coin flip? I mean, I think Gingers get a bad rap, and I'm not naturally a redhead, but I've dyed my hair red for the last like several years and I just love it and so mm. it's pretty much just that idea that I'm gonna back up okay Stephanie oh gosh I don't remember much of the characters themselves so I'm just gonna pretend we're talking about Betty or Veronica okay <laughs> because I think they're pretty comparable comparisons in which case I would go Betty so I guess it would be Marianne okay <laughs> Angie I always liked Ginger because she's taller. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so was that just a sort of, you liked that there was, you know, a tall character? I don't know that I ever gave it that much thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, was, I was really young <laughs> watching Gilligan's Island reruns. But I assume you've always been tall. I have always been tall. Yeah. Hey, I feel that one right there. <laughs> My daughter is 10 and she's 5'2", and I'm just like, this girl's going to be like 6 feet. Yeah, she, she's taller than I am already. Hey, I can relate to that. Ever since second grade, whatever my grade was, was the inch after 5 feet for me. Mm. So, I was always the tallest one in my class, that was fun. But I never paid attention to the height difference between Marianne and Ginger, but then again... I can't even remember the last time I actually watched Gilligan's Island. I feel like it's just something I know because it's so ingrained into pop culture. Though I know I have seen some of it. It was just something that happened to be on Nick at Night once in a while while I was watching or something like that. Yeah, the theme song is still taking up space in my brain, so... <laughs> For me, it was daytime TV. This is back in the 80s where uh, a lot of times in the afternoons before cartoons came on for kids coming home from school. So there's like a noon to three in the afternoon period where they would show a lot of 50s and 60s television, even on the local channels. So during summers and times when I wasn't in school, you know, I'd watch, you know, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, Gilligan's Island, all that kind of stuff used to come on TV. So I saw a lot of it when I was really young. But for me, it's Marianne, and that is just because I prefer brunettes. So 
that is my own personal predilection, but... <laughs> That's fair. Nothing too complicated uh, on that one, because I don't really remember much of the show, even though I did watch it a lot as a kid. Third question. Who would win the fight? Terminator or Robocop? Sure. I For that one, that's so hard. Because I... Uh, okay, this is going to sound really... I don't, I don't know what... I, I don't know what this is going to sound like. Let's just say that. I'm okay. going to say Terminator because I have... I know someone who worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Cal, when he was a Gal, California governor. And apparently he was a pretty cool guy to work with. So I'm just going to go with Terminator because I've seen all those movies. And I haven't seen the new RoboCop, but I saw the old one. And I don't know. I, Arnold... And the character just has something on on RoboCop, so... Okay. It's okay, you don't need to watch the new RoboCop. It's not the most horrible movie out there, but it's not something that's really must-see at all. So the only reason I'd watch it is for Carl Urban. That's all mm. I'm gonna say. I can see that. Alright, Stephanie? Well, I am not familiar enough with either of them to give a good judgment. Um... <laughs> judgment for Terminator. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I want to say I like Terminator better. I have family from Detroit, though, so I feel like I should go with RoboCop. <laughs> and plus, it, Taco Bell is like my favorite fast food joint, and Taco Bell wins uh, the stupid franchise wars. I am thinking of the right movie, right? <laughs> uh, the Taco Bell one, I think, is something else, but uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> okay. what that is. Well, that just goes to show how much I know about either of these. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go with Taco Bell. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. All right, moving right along from Stephanie. <laughs> Angie. I did see the new RoboCop, and that might be why I'm picking Terminator. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't say for sure, but we're gonna go with Terminator. Just out of curiosity, did you ever see the old '80s RoboCop? You know, I did because I can. I've got this very vivid visual of of uh, Peter Weller. Is that who it was? Like I, I yes. But I remember very little about it. Uh, it definitely didn't make as big of an impression on me as Terminator did. Yeah, but it's funny, because this is one of those things that comes up again and again in the various, like, crossover battle kind of things, is Terminator versus Robocop, but it seems like everyone that I ask goes with Terminator, which I will as well. The franchise wars with Taco Bell with Demolition Man. That's what I thought, <laughs> okay. I, but for some reason I was blanking on the name of the movie, but it thank you, yes, It was a similar type theme, if I recall correctly. Right, yes. <laughs> I can see how you could conflate that with RoboCop. But yeah, I go with Terminator also because I just see it as a more unrelenting... You know, it has no emotion at all. Uh, RoboCop is still a person and has the foibles of a human being, so I just feel like in a straight-up fight, Terminator probably wins that one. Well, if we're going on the actual character, then I definitely have to say Terminator. I thought we were going by, like, the movie, in which case... Oh, no, 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 I was talking about, about the characters. Films. That little chihuahua comes up and beats them both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, fourth question. Better modern Sherlock, Robert Downey Jr. or Benedict Cumberbatch? Oh, jeez. That... Sorry, I'm gonna have to do Benedict Cumberbatch for that. Okay. And I apologize simply because I know, like, there's this fascination with Robert Downey Jr. right now, and I'm not saying he's not a phenomenal actor, but... And, like, his accent even is, like... 
it's it's spot on and everything, but there's just something about kind of the slightly more neurotic version that I think mm-hmm. is a little bit more accurate to the Sherlock Holmes, like the the real old school Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I just feel like he's got that little bit of obviously he's egotistical, but the neuroticism comes through. I feel much better with Cumberbatch's uh, interpretations. Okay, Stephanie. Brett Spiner. I haven't seen either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright. Angie. So I recently just finished rereading a lot of the stories and I think overall I'll have to go with Cumberbatch. Although I'm, I'm realizing that there's a little bit more humor in these stories than I, I had remembered there being that Howard Daddy Jr. may have gotten a better handle on but overall, I, I think the the mini the mini series is a better or a better imagining. For me, it is Robert Downey Jr. I absolutely adored that first movie. The second one suffered from incredibly bad writing. <laughs> but I, I love the performance. Uh, I like this, you know, kind of uh, I don't know borderline uh, manic. Sherlock Holmes that he plays, and I love the. And again, I get that this has nothing to do with the performance, but I love the Victorian setting, which you know you don't get with the Benedict Cumberbatch version. So uh, because of that, I feel like RDJ's version is more of what I. It was exciting and different enough from previous interpretations, while grasping some things from the original stories that they didn't. You know, that previous interpretations didn't, you know, sort of go for, like the fact that he's a drug addict and everything else. So, you know, I I just kind of like that version better. So for me, it's the RDJ one. I'll say Robert Downey Jr. just because I do like him as an actor better than Benedict Cumberface, whatever the (laughs) is. It's one of these things where, like, Cumberbatch is just, like, uh, you know, there's always, like, some actor that everyone is just, like, this is, like, God's gift to acting right now, and I just never, like, I mean, it was Brad Pitt years ago, you know, it was, like, and he was everywhere, in every movie, there's Brad Pitt, and it's just, like, he's good, but it doesn't mean he needs to be in everything, and it doesn't mean he's the only good actor out there, and I feel like Cumberbatch is that guy right now, where he's just in everything, and I'm just I'm kind of sick of that, just because I have a knee-jerk reaction against it. But, you know, RDJ's doing a lot now, too, so it's not like it's that different, but I feel like Cumberbatch (laughs) is definitely in a higher tier of that right now, but anyway. Alright, last question. You want to play a video game? Do you go to a PC or a console? All right, so Nathan, you've you've known me for a little while now. <laughs> right. I used to do Xbox all the freaking time. Like, that's I grew up on Nintendo and then Xbox. Not gonna lie, about the time Halo Four came out, started to get really dis- disenchanted with the way console games, specifically for the Xbox, were being made. Everything was going like Call of Duty style, and it was a bunch of games and crappy storylines, and so I kind of gave up. Uh, now my gaming choice is PC, and it's a lot of like Fallout stuff, like Minecraft, uh, Minecraft like servers with friends, and I don't really miss the console as much as I thought I would. It's funny that you mention. Well, it's not funny because I'm sure it's incredibly popular, but I don't play a lot of video games now much anyway. But like Minecraft, it's just like it's like my family has it's just taken over the lives of my family because. You know, that's like a rabbit hole that you can just go down, like, forever. Yeah, 
with that game. Well, and, and the thing is too, like I know everyone's like, oh, Minecraft, like of course you guys play Minecraft or whatever, but you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that you play Minecraft. I connected with my cousin's 10 year old kid who I'd only met once in his life before when he was like four years old just last week and we talked about Minecraft the entire night. Like that was how I connected with with this my cousin's kid. So I think people give it a bad rap, but you know what? I like it and I'm glad I'm playing it on the PC now because the Xbox version sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, uh, Stephanie. I feel like these questions are horrible for me this week. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know you play video games. Oh, you gotta I be able to answer do, this. But <laughs> I have very differing opinions on both of them. That's fine. There are certain types of games that I definitely prefer on a console, and there are certain types of games that I definitely prefer on a PC. I absolutely am a huge Nintendo fan girl. I don't have the Switch yet, though, but I don't want to get a first generation Switch anyways. There are too many issues going on with that right now. Smart. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, like, I got Breath of the Wild for the Wii U, and oh my god, that's a fantastic game. Nintendo really excels with those types of games, and I think the Bayonetta remaster that they did for the Wii U was done beautifully and plays so much better than the uh, original releases of Bayonetta for Xbox or PS3. And so I do tend to be a Nintendo fangirl, though I do question a lot of their practices of trying to rely so much on gimmicks as opposed to just developing these beautiful games that they can develop. They need to just become a third-party developer and give up on concepts <laughs> except for their handhelds because I do love my 3DS. <laughs> but at the same time, just like a month and a half ago, I dropped a whole bunch of money building a brand new gaming PC, which is why I was having issues getting my Skype call working at first because I'm using that brand new PC that I built specifically for gaming. <laughs> So, yeah, it really depends on what it is I want to play. Like, first-person shooters, I definitely prefer playing on a PC versus a... a cons uh, <laughs> I prefer playing first-person shooters hands-down on a PC over a console. I think the control that you can get with the mouse and keyboard is much better than you can with a controller. But, like, games like action adventures and RPGs, those types of things, I usually prefer on a console, because you don't need to have 50 million buttons to do everything. And, yeah, and plus, PCs also have The Sims, and, well, I can forget to feed myself for three days straight, but my Sims have become president of the world, and <laughs> have a beautiful house, and tons of money, and that game... I, I go through spurts with The Sims where I don't play it for like a year or two straight and then I'm just lost in it for a month. <laughs> as long as your priorities are straight. Yeah, my Sims need to get their lives together more than me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, it depends on the type of game that I want mm -hmm. to play at the time as to whether or not I'm going to go PC or console. Alright. Uh, Angie? I'm going to go with PC even though the last couple of years I've only played console games. <laughs> You're not still talking about 8-bit Lord of the Rings, are you? Oh, I tried to boot that up before we moved. It's, it was bad. <laughs> that was so awesome that time I visited you. We were just playing this really old, old Lord of the Rings to, game. I need to find something that can play it with the sound not all jacked up. I, I assume it's a DOS-based game. Do you have, uh, have you downloaded DOSBox? I 
I actually don't have it in front of me, and I I I agree. I think it's a DOS-based game. I don't. It, it's it's all in storage at the moment. So. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, no. Uh, DOSBox is a DOS emulator that will run on Windows, and so a lot of older games that you can't get to work on Windows, if you get DOSBox, you can usually run them through that. Cool. Yeah, the last couple of games I've played have been on console, but I think my heart. Uh, I'll always PC games better. Hmm. I'm going to go console on this one. I am a big 8-bit uh, retro fan. You know, I still have an Atari, a Nintendo, Super Nintendo, all that kind of stuff. And at some point when video games became, uh, when the controllers, you know, went from just having like six buttons to 20 buttons, you know, like the games kind of like lost me. It was like, you know, I need to have like three hands to work this controller correctly and have things, you know, <laughs> go. So I still play my old consoles. I don't play a lot of PC games, although occasionally Civilization will take over my life for a little while. I do remember to feed myself, though. That is one thing. I, I <laughs> don't forget to do that. But <laughs> Carol, Carol try to upshow me. <laughs> yeah. But that aside, yeah, it's almost all consoles that I play. But uh, all right. So we have successfully gotten to the end of five questions. Yay. Sweet. <laughs> All right, so before we dive into the topic for this week, we will play this promo for another fine podcast. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. And we're back. Uh, so this week we are talking about a guy that you might have heard of before, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. He's someone who has influenced my life tremendously since I was a little kid. I feel like in recent years there's been a little bit of controversy surrounding him just in the fact that since the movies have come out, the comments that I typically hear when somebody brings up Tolkien are along the lines of, I really love the Lord of the Rings movies, but those books are just awful. And then when you question the person, you find that in most cases they've gotten about 10 pages into Fellowship of the Ring and gave up on it because their friend told them it doesn't get any better than that. And, you know, it's one of those things that's been kind of like bothering me for a while. So, I, I'm sorry, what were you saying, Stephanie? Just whimpering. Okay. So, there's certainly a lot more to Tolkien and his work, and we're going to dive all into that. But first, I wanted to ask each of you on the podcast today, what was your first exposure to Tolkien's writing? Sure. Um, 
this is way easier than five questions. Um, when I was a very small child, my parents read me The Hobbit at night before I went to bed. So that was my that was my first exposure to it. Then I saw the cartoon movies and then got my hands on the interplay game. And then I think I read Lord of the Rings in middle school. Okay. Bree? I am probably one of the... It sounds like I'm one of the younger people here. I didn't... <laughs> I actually, a friend saw Fellowship of the Ring in theaters when it came out, and she's like, she's my best friend at the time. She's like, you have to see this. If you like Star Wars, if you like this other stuff, you're going to love this. I was like, okay. So I went and saw it in theaters one time, and I was immediately hooked. I went home and read the entire trilogy, but like within the span of, I believe, a month or so. And I probably went and saw Fellowship of the Ring like another five or six times in the theater. And so I became pretty obsessed after after that. You know, I'm going to say I think pretty much you, Angie, and Stephanie are about the same age. So even though you're both, I, I'm older. I, I'm the old man. So, okay. So then it's basically my parents' fault for not introducing me to like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings when I was younger. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it up. That's not the Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the only route to have learned about it, but sure. <laughs> Stephanie, how about you? Well, actually, similarly, I first saw the Fellowship of the Ring in theaters and fell in love with it after the very first viewing of it and immediately got all the books. And when I was reading through The Hobbit, I had this huge sense of deja vu and I couldn't figure out why. And... It happened to happen at the same time that my mom was going through all her old records and she came across this old book on record that she had. And she comes up to me, oh, do you remember this? And you used to listen to it nonstop. And it turns out it was the record and book version of The Hobbit that came out with the animated movie. Oh, wow. Mm. So all of a sudden, when she showed me that, I remembered playing this thing all the time when I was a little girl. I actually remembered exactly what room in my grandparents' house I would sit in with a record player playing it nonstop. And this was right after I had finished reading The Return of the King, too, that that happened. And suddenly I'm like, now I know why The Hobbit felt so familiar the entire time I was reading it. So I had actually been in love with the series as a very little girl, and then I forgot about it until the movies came out. I became re-obsessed with it, and another aunt got really upset at me when I became so obsessed, because she's like, I was trying to get you into the real books for, like, so long, and you were trying to read them! <laughs> um, but I've got you beat in the fact that I saw The Fellowship of the Ring 11 times in theater, The Two Towers, uh, nine times in theater and then the return of the king seven times in theater <laughs> yeah i i could pr i could probably go back and count my ticket stubs but i don't remember <laughs> but at least hey at least you and i are in the same wavelength when i told friends of mine that i was going to see a movie again they were like haven't you seen it like five times now and i'm like so <laughs> isn't that movie like really long so so <laughs> and then you count the extended editions of the movies that i now own and i've watched those so many times i don't even know how many times i've watched those i've reread re the book so many times since uh, i first got that got back into the series unbeknownst to me forgetting that i had already loved the story but actually kind of a fun thing too with the fact that the hobbit felt so familiar was 
Nathan knows about this, but uh, when I was a teenager, I used to watch Star Trek The Next Generation every night before bed. I had these, uh, the officially released Paramount VHS tapes, all like 82 of them or something like that. <laughs> and I would basically watch one and fall asleep during it. And the next night I'd finish that tape and they move on to the next and so on and so forth. And at one point I was sitting there doing my normal before bed routine of watching Star Trek. And I realized that I was picturing uh, Bilbo and the dwarves commanding the Enterprise instead of Picard and everybody. And I'm like, wow, I need to stop Star Trek and go finish reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's how I first became utterly obsessed with the uh, Tolkien universe of Middle-earth. Cool. Yeah, uh, my story is remarkably similar to Angie's, in, except that for my dad, because he had loved Lord of the Rings as a child, he wanted to read Lord of the Rings, and he wasn't really big on The Hobbit. He was like, eh, The Hobbit's not really so good. So we had somewhere on TV, they had played The Hobbit animated movie. So he was like, yeah, they definitely take some liberties, whatever, but uh, it's okay. You guys have seen that version of The Hobbit. That's close enough. You know, you, you know everything you need to know for me to read these books to you. So it was like over the span of a year and a half, that was bedtime for my brothers and I was dad reading us. I can remember a glass of wine in one hand, one of the Lord of the Ring books in the other hand, <laughs> reading to us from the story and you know and that was always great for us too because you know it gave us like extra time before we had to go to bed you know I mean, we were in bed but extra time before we had to fall asleep because a lot of times dad would start reading and you know the chapters are not short so he would go to like the end of a chapter or whatever and so you know we might actually go to bed or go to sleep at like 10 o'clock so um we kind of liked that and uh we really enjoyed the story so it's been a part of my life since i was like five or six somewhere in that range so it's something that i've always loved and i've reread the books a few times since then i did watch fellowship of the rings three times in the movie theater I think the only other movie I've seen that many times is uh, The Phantom Menace. And again, that's because they're the start of something that I was already pr really excited about. So I ended up seeing them uh, quite a few times. I like how you very quickly tried to justify seeing The Phantom Menace that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, with The Phantom Menace, it was slightly different. I kept trying to find what I had missed in the movie that made it good. And so I was like... I know that there's something, because, you know, it's Star Wars, it has to be good, so I need to, you know, watch this again. It was Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, they were good, everything was good. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so, yeah, the, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies, it was really exciting, you know, having those finally come out, and my opinion changed slightly as things wended on, and, you know, we get through the whole thing, but that first one, I still think, was a fairly decent film version of the book even though they you know they took some liberties but they always do so moving on from that what do we think well, let me back up a little bit so we've got tolkien and are any of you familiar with sort of the background of tolkien himself yes uh, yeah. yeah okay so, um, you know, Tolkien was a guy, he was orphaned, um, you know, at a fairly young age. He, um, you know, grew up basically uh, sort of idolizing rural England, um, you know, which you, you find a lot of the Shire 
community is, you know, something from his, you know, his childhood, you know, impressions and memories of that kind of uh, rural English countryside area. And, you know, the Ents and a lot of the other things that make their way into Middle Earth, you can sort of tell his bias, you know, anything industrialized, bad Soroman. You know, he's, he's, you know, cutting down trees, he's making machines, you know, this is bad, you know. And the simple life, the uh, natural life, you know, elves and hobbits, you know, this is good. And, uh, of course, uh, he was in World War I. Um, you know, uh, he was kind of influenced by what happened to him there. And, you know, then became a professor of English. And so one of the things that I wanted to sort of ask uh, each of you you know, a lot of people talk about how Lord of the Rings is an allegory for, you know, sort of his wartime experiences. And I'm just wondering, do any of you see anything in that? Well, Tolkien himself said that's a bunch of b- but right. uh... <laughs> But yet it persists! <laughs> I never thought it myself while reading through it. I thought it was your typical good versus bad type war story not an actual allegorical war story it's just i don't know i think some people try to read too much into literature sometimes story is just a story sometimes a cigar is just a cigar well and and if you want allegory you need to look to tolkien's friend c.s lewis like i Mm -hmm. i studied lewis um i grew up as a christian so actually ironically i was read all the those books, but none of the Lord of the Rings ones. Um, and then I went to Oxford to study C.S. Lewis, but he, his life was very closely interti- intertwined with Tolkien. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Lewis wrote far more allegorical stuff than Tolkien ever did. The thing is, Tolkien just is more popular and has stayed more popular over the years. So obviously, I think people are trying to read into his works more than they necessarily should. And I realize that's just part of literary, movie, whatever criticism. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like, in regards specifically to his whole wartime thing, I feel that if the author specifically says, no, this was not what I intended, then fine, you can be like, well, there's still parallels, but you shouldn't say, nope, this is why he wrote it. So I agree. It really, if he said he didn't, great, fine. Sure, I see similarities, and that's fine, but I absolutely hate it when people just dismiss what the author said because they think for some reason they know better psychologically what he was doing. Yeah, well, Tolkien even said himself that there's no way that you can divorce yourself from the experiences of your life, and that has to inform your writing, and there's no way to not do that. But what he said is that he hates allegory, because what that does is it takes the power away from the reader and puts it in the hands of the writer, where the writer very heavy-handedly is saying, this is what this stuff means. Where he's like, I prefer applicability, which is in the mind of each reader... It should be whatever they want it to be. So he said, so if you read it and you see a wartime allegory for, you know, World War I, you know, other people have said it's an allegory for World War II because that was going on while he was writing uh, Lord of the Rings. But whichever war you say that it's an allegory for, you know, then that's fine if that's what gives it greater meaning for you. But that was not his intention, you know, while writing it. In fact, you know, reading it, a lot of it comes from the fact that Tolkien was obsessed with the Viking sagas and the epic, you know, stories of Norse mythology. And to me, reading through a lot of his stuff, I I think you see a lot more of that in his work than any kind of historical or even Christian-type allegory that people attribute to it. Yeah. 
I have a hard time with this because I, I do tend to lean towards, you know, if the author says specifically, this is not what I intended to, to kind of let that lie. But there, there is so much that, I mean, the eagles come in and save the day at the end. <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's just so easy to make it an allegory about World War II. That I think people kind of want that to be the case. Um, I actually find that reading problematic for other reasons, but I, I, I kind of wish he hadn't been so adamant that there was no allegory because it, it almost seems like he's down then downplaying the fact that his life was so influenced by World War One, World War Two, and a lot of that pops up in his writing, and I think that kind of lends itself towards seeing allegory where maybe he didn't intend it, but it could be there even unintentionally. Well, I think certainly a lot of the characters definitely are influenced by his real-life experiences in wartime. I read his biography uh, several years ago, and one of the things that they talk about there is, you know, Tolkien, as a college graduate, of course, was an officer, but he had so much respect for the enlisted people because they were the ones that he saw as having real practical experience. And here's these people coming in as officers who don't really know what they're doing, and that's sort of a parallel for Frodo and Sam. Whereas Sam is the steady Eddie, Sam is the one that makes sure that Frodo's, you know, getting by and taking care of him and everything else. And, you know, Frodo's just this guy sort of thrust into this experience who really has no idea what he's doing, (laughs) you know, and has to rely on Sam as this sort of stalwart companion. And I think definitely that, you know, uh, came from his wartime experiences. And I'm sure some of the other characters that you see, you know, were other you know, other soldiers, other men that Tolkien interacted with and sort of their characteristics were probably getting put in there. But that was definitely something that I remember from reading the biography was the the Sam situation and, and Tolkien's feelings about, like, the, the sergeants and whatnot that would help the officers out. I saw that in um, Aragorn's kind of reticence to take his rightful place that mm. he kind of preferred, you know, being a ranger. Um, and I, that's, that's kind of... The influence that I saw that uh, as an officer, he, military protocol wouldn't really let him, you know, develop any sort of real relationship other than a boss to enlisted mm-hmm. um, soldiers. And I think he kind of resented that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And also, of course, the battle and the idea of, you know, a war to end all wars. You know, that kind of, you know, that, that terminology is never used, but the idea of the, the starkness of what they're doing and, you know, if we lose this battle, you know, evil will just, you know, try, you know, triumph by marching through the world and whatnot. You know, that's a lot of the rhetoric that was going on with both world wars. So you can definitely see that. But then again, that does sort of fall back into, you know, more of the epic sort of, you know, fiction that he was already very interested in. You know, Tolkien uh, once said something about how he didn't like silly fairy stories. You know, what he wanted to tell was, you know, something that had, you know, a lot more meat to it. You know, it was more of an epic kind of, you know, storyline. So going into the writing, because I do want to talk about the movies, but I want to uh, save that for a little bit later. What about the stories do you really appreciate and, you know, Tolkien's writing style in particular? Oh, I know some people say that Tolkien can be a little bit hard to read Mm -hmm. because he does like to draw out a lot of unnecessary detail at times. However, 
personally, those are my favorite books. Like those books are my favorite books out of every book I've ever read. I absolutely adore his writing, at least in the core four books, as they've always created a very vivid world for me. And I enjoyed the fact that even though I got into the real books and not just the uh, general story after the movies, th it wasn't Peter Jackson's vision that was going through my head while I was reading all of those books. I was actually imagining the words as Tolkien was writing them. There were certain areas that, like in uh, The Two Towers and The Return of the King, and then later on in The Hobbit, there were areas that I had always envisioned one particular way that ended up apparently being the same way Jackson envisioned them because they ended up looking very similarly in the movies. But I can understand, especially when you branch out of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and you get to things like the Silmarillion or any of the extended histories of Middle-earth, a lot of those things are harder to read and I can see why a lot of people do find Tolkien to be a little monotonous and tedious in reading. But I found myself getting really attached to the characters and the story that they were going into. I will say, though, just as a disclaimer, the things that have been published since he died were never things that he intended to be published oh, yeah. for mass consumption. They were notes and things that he had written over the years because he was constantly developing the mythology and people have just seen dollar signs over, oh, exactly. let's publish his notebooks, you know? I mean, not everything that was that's in that extended collection of stories falls into that particular category. Like, I mean, the uh, Book of Lost Tales mm. or short stories or... Something like that. I'm pretty sure those ones were actually finished, refined stories that he did, but they are a little bit harder to read. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest flaw in the actual core books is Tom Bombadil. Why is Tom Bombadil a flaw? He was so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I still, though, think that even though I totally understand why he was cut for the movie, that if they had had, like, Robin Williams playing Tom Bombadil, everyone would love him. He, he, that was the best decision that Jackson made, was cutting him from the movie. Because he was so... I was I was ecstatic when we didn't even see that in the extended editions. Because Tom Bombadil just is not necessary to the plot at all. And he was just annoying. <laughs> I have a very strong hatred towards Tom Bombadil. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's coming through loud and clear. Your, your passion on this subject is... <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty high. <laughs> not very well articulated, though, because I have legitimately skipped that chapter the last time I read the book. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ugh, well. I have some trouble because I can't remember the first time I chose to read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings on my own kind of recognizance. Well, but it doesn't really matter. It's what, you know, whatever the last time you read. I mean, what do you appreciate about reading those books? What do you like about it? Well, the the reason I bring that up is because I think it was my first kind of experience with poetry that didn't annoy crap out of me. Mm. And it was kind of the first time that I, it was my introduction to epic poetry for sure. But realizing that things could have a melodic flow, a poetic flow, and not me want to puke. Um, I actually, as a general rule, hate poetry, but I, I very much appreciate kind of the, the epic poetry style of Tolkien, and I, I, I'm trying to remember which read it was that that kind of hit me. I, I think I was a little older. 
but that's kind of what keeps bringing me back to it is that it's just so it's just so pleasant to actually read the words that and the fact that I'd also never really experienced such a fully fleshed out world where sometimes you don't even have to read the book you pick up a footnote and then go reading through the back of the book and that takes up hours and it's awesome <laughs> so yeah. those are the two things I remember most those are both good ones Bree. So a lot of what I have to say is very similar to what Stephanie and Angie said. Mm -hmm. The, I feel like, especially if you consider the time period it was written for and don't compare it to modern day literature, I feel like character development and story development was very good. Obviously it takes a lot longer than people are used to reading nowadays, but that doesn't, I don't think discredit it from being phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The other thing, actually, that I really liked about it kind of has to do with what Angie was saying, the epicness of it. I grew up, like, reading a lot of kind of, like, epic-style type things. Like, I, I wouldn't call Chronicles of Narnia an epic, but it does kind of have, like, a lot. There's, like, threads that attach the stories. My mom also read us Little House on the Prairie. Mm -hmm. That kind of has, like, a longer story arc to it, too. It's not, it doesn't really have an endpoint. But then I, when I went to school, we'd studied a lot of like Greek and Roman mythology and history. And then I studied on my own Egyptian and Norse stuff. And it's just that epic level of there is something very important about understanding that you're not the only person in this world. And there's a lot of other things at play that you have to be aware of to try to make, you know, your life and the lives of others better. That really resonates with me. And that's probably just how I grew up. But the fact that he could just nail that epic nature so well. Like, I honestly don't think I've seen or read anything else that I would consider as well done as that. Here, here. I completely agree with you on that one, Bree. Going right off of that, too, it definitely shows that he had invested a own personal interest and a caring and loving of all of his characters in the fact that he did develop them so much where we were able to get that grand epic feeling of how they actually fit into this vast world. And I had more to that thought and it just ran out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and there are a few interesting things about him uh, from, from, you know, his, his personal life, you know, the Hobbit actually started as him sort of creating a story for his kids. I mean, so, you know, the fact that Angie's parents read her The Hobbit as a bedtime story is actually really fitting because that's basically what The Hobbit was. He wrote that book as a story for his kids. Well, and if you don't mind me jumping in here, it was also sort of on a bet with Lewis. No. But it started it started life with him writing on the back of, like, a, a test he was grading. Yeah, yep. And then he developed it into something that he read to his kids. But then, of course, it was really popular. It was selling really well, and so he was asked to write a sequel. It took him 15 years to write Lord of the Rings. And one of the things that he did, which, you know, no one did, is not only had he been already been developing mythology and writing sidelines and notes and everything, if he got to a problem, you know, like, most people would go back and say, like, oh, this doesn't work, I'll, you know, cross out these lines, you know, because this is before computers, so typing. I'll cross out these lines, I'll write in new sentences and whatever, and I'll edit sort of, you know, what I've written. If Tolkien hit a problem with the story, he would start back from the beginning because he felt that any kind of, like, editing as you go would make the story feel disjointed. So he would actually go back to the very beginning and write from the beginning through again until he got it right, which is part of the reason why it took him 15 years. You know, it's a lot of pages anyway, but to write the three books, it took him that long. 
There was even something I remember from the biography where he realized that the number of days for Sam and Frodo and the rest of the Fellowship, you know, after they split up, you know, he realized that they were both looking at the stars and they were seeing the moon at different phases. So it was like, oh, that's a problem. I've lost track of the days. I can start over again. So even to that level of detail, that level of consistency that he wanted this story to have, you know, to, to get it all the way through, which is one of the reasons why I think that it works on that level of, you know, not only a character is really fleshed out, but the story is really solid. You know, you don't read through the book and go, well, gee, that doesn't make sense. And that doesn't make sense. You know, whereas a lot of books that I read, I do, you know, I at least find a few things that I'm like, this doesn't, you know, there's some internal consistency problems or, you know, I don't, you know, the plot doesn't seem to make a lot of sense or things like that. So he definitely put a lot of his life and energy into into telling the story. You have been listening to The 42 Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.